Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Please consider supporting Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. Uh, they are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United, YEG, for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. This is Dmitry Samarov from Chicago, Illinois, and I love listening to Vishkana's creative control because whether he's talking to a favorite musician or actor of mine or someone I've never heard of, it's as if he's introducing me to a new friend, and the way things are going, couldn't you use a new friend? Listen now. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. Alec Mackay is an influential and acclaimed lyricist, performer, singer, musician, and poet based in his hometown of Washington, D.C. A key and active member of the early Discord Records community, Mackay is renowned for his role in pioneering punk and hardcore bands like Untouchables, The Faith, and Ignition, who were active in the 1970s and 1980s, and in the 1990s, he sang and played guitar in the post-punk band The Warmers. After a lengthy hiatus from music making, Mackay is writing and singing in an excellent new band called Hammered Hulls, which also features guitarist Mark Cisneros, bassist Mary Timoney, and drummer Chris Wilson. On October 28, 2022, Discord Records released the fantastic debut LP by Hammered Hulls. It's called Careening, and it prompted Alec and I to connect for a great conversation about his life in Washington, D.C., and the Mackay family's connection to Nova Scotia, how Hammered Halls came to be and their remarkable sound, what the early days of Discord Records were like for Mackay and his friends and bandmates, making one of the last albums ever recorded at Inner Ear Studios with engineer Don Ziantara, what his brother Ian Mackay brought to the proceedings in his role as producer, his writing style and the lyrical imagery on careening, tour dates, 
other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control, which is the primary source of revenue for all of this work that I do and also a place where you can get uh, perks like uh, episodes early, extra content, things like that. Thanks for your support at patreon.com slash creative control, if I might say. Plus, uh, in-kind support from uh, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 729 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Alec Mackay of Hammered Hulls, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Alec. How you doing? Doing great, thanks. How are you? <laughs> oh, I'm well, thank you. Thanks for asking. Uh, nice to see you and encounter you. I don't believe we've ever, ever spoken before in our lives. Is that a... That's probably fair. <laughs> that, uh, I think that's correct. <laughs> it's nice to chat with you. Where in the world are you today? I am uh, in DuPont Circle. Well, sp- more specifically, I'm in the basement of an art museum where I work in DuPont Circle in Washington, D.C., in the United States on the continent of North America. Very specific information. Thank you very much. Uh, I associate you with Washington, D.C. Have you ever lived anywhere else? No, I never have. Well, I guess when I was in fourth grade, age nine, uh, my family lived in Palo Alto, California for one year, one school year, basically. And that was very different. But other than that, I've always lived in D.C. and... uh, I don't know, I've traveled widely, but I always come back here. Nice. Uh, how are things going in D.C. for you today, generally? What's it? What's the vibe in the city, if you will? The vibe in the city is it's the last days of, of summer f- sort of weather. It's warm and the sun is shining and the leaves are changing a bit, but people are really, uh, there's a lot of people out on the street and doing things and it's kind of nice, but it is, uh, there's a ton of, I guess they're improvements, but really they're just a ton of uh, roadworks and construction and things to keep people working, and it creates a funny kind of attention because people can't navigate either by foot or by vehicle or any other way, so there's just a lot of chaos. Uh, oh, so I that, see. I think that adds to the way the general vibe of the city at the moment, but uh, otherwise, and beyond that, I don't know. That's all I can detect. That's a, I've been hearing this a lot and experiencing this a lot even in my own city of Edmonton. A lot of construction. A lot of the big cities seem to be constantly under construction, gentrification. What do you think that's about? <laughs> I think it's in, the, in our case, I believe that it has to do with some kind of economic crisis. And yeah. I think that they're keeping people, you're giving jobs that are going to take, I just know that they've been digging up Massachusetts Avenue for about two years and they keep coming back and doing it again and bringing in first the sidewalk guys and the curbstone guys and then the minute and and not just guys but they are doing these over and over and i do feel like it's it's helping the economy in in certain levels to replace another level of the economy that i think is they don't want to talk about but that's just a observation or a theory 
I've never yeah. heard anybody mention it. Yeah, there's obviously uh, economic displacement going on within what you're talking about, I believe. Uh, and I think also, yeah, I'm relatively familiar with how city budgets work or whatever, municipal, state budgets. They like and, give you a fiscal and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, we got to spend the fiscal. But to your point, they're creating... Particularly in Washington because yeah. we it was created as a federal enclave, you know, and as it developed, they squeezed out uh, industrial activity, like actual fabrication, manufacture, any of that kind of stuff that used to happen was moved out. And so generally it's anybody who, who is working here is working for some – for the federal government on some level. And now that the many people in the government aren't coming back into the city because of the pandemic uh, response, so now there's a lot less people just coming into work. They, they work from the suburbs and – Huge amounts of the city uh, can't, you know, you can't have your mom and pop diner anymore because there's not enough people to come in during the day. So, yeah, it's just a lot of that kind of changes. I don't know about other cities. Other cities tend to have more. They, they've uh, whatever you call that, spread their portfolio a little more. You know, yeah, fair differently. enough. Yeah, fair enough. I've I've uh, been talking to lots of uh, artistic folks and myself included. I will uh, add to this milieu because. Uh, my family and I left Ontario because of uh, the economic situation in that province. It's the most populous province uh, in Canada, and the real estate market was prohibitive. We tried to move. We, we have a family. Uh, my wife and I have two kids. So we couldn't find a we, – we owned a two – well, the bank mostly owned it, but we had a house with two bedrooms. We couldn't move, so we – my wife has family in Alberta. The real estate's much cheaper here. I'm, see, I'm hearing and seeing artists uh, exit. Bigger uh, cities uh, for more affordable ones. You yourself, have you ever contemplated living anywhere besides where you live in D.C. for any reason? It's funny you say. When I used to tour widely, I wanted to live almost every single place I ever went. I loved every every town, every city I met. I would would find wildly appealing and uh, could picture myself there. It's different now that I also have kids, yeah. uh, and also I, it's something about like a tipping point where I, now that I've now that I've become famous in my neighborhood anyway for being an old like an OG neighborhood person, and I can brag about being a sixth generation Washingtonian. And now I I don't want to be the one that messes it up. But to answer your question, I think you want to know where where I might go is what you're asking. Uh, I don't know. I I always think if I do move, and we may have to, uh, to be honest, I'm sort of in the same what you just described. Yeah. I can't afford to live in the house we're in. Uh, you know, my neighbors keep patting each other on the back saying how great it is our houses are worth so much. And it's only if you're selling them, right? Uh, but then when I try to complain about it, people don't feel so sympathetic because I actually own a house. So Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It's hard. But uh I think I would like to move to somewhere that I don't speak the language. I think, I would, uh, uh, or at least just a, a different country. I think. Really? Yeah. I wonder what mm -hmm. uh, you eye, you eyeball in Canada, Quebec, something like uh, that. I would love Canada. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I do. I, I've. I would. Yes, I would love to live in Canada. I would. Maybe I should just go back to Nova Scotia to <laughs> to Grand River, uh, where my great grandfather DJ lived with a bunch of fisher folk right there, where the Bradour Lake. Meets the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, nice! It's very beautiful. Oh, yeah. well, that, you'd be welcome with uh, open arms, if I may say. So uh, <laughs> we'll keep tabs on you for that. Maybe uh, listen. I want to congratulate you on this uh, beautiful and excellent new record, uh, "Careening" by Hammered Halls. Can we talk a little bit about uh, where this band kind of came from, so to speak? Sure. 
And actually, let me just back it up for a second. You heard me just say DJ McKay. I've been told that that's how he pronounced his last name. However, as you said, as we talked about earlier, I am Alec McKay. Yes, this has been a source of some debate among people who follow your brother Ian's work. And every once in a while, I I, I still, to this day, get a little side-eye when I say his name properly, Ian McKay. Because some people, people look at, yeah, yeah they like, I think yeah. you're saying that wrong. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm not. But uh, uh, anyway, yes, it's yeah. it's Mackay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but the old pronounce or the original pronunciation you're saying uh, was McKay. Perhaps. In, in his case, I've been told by my father, who is my main connection to that side of the family, obviously. Um, yeah, right. That it, uh, so, uh, but I, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> back to the question. How did the hammered hulls, uh, well, uh, Mark Cisneros, I would say, is the the driving force. He's the linchpin in all of it. And he and Mary Timoney, uh, they've known each other and played together for years and years. They both teach music, and I think, and they had a a, a project where they were playing together early on. And then uh, after that, uh, Chris and and Mark, Chris Wilson, who's in a ton of bands um, and has been in a number of bands, began talking about playing and then they wanted to play with Mary and uh, lastly I don't know exactly I think it was Chris and Mark speaking to each other and Chris and I had taught I've been you know I loved um, his drumming in uh, the pharmacists and so I would see him every time they would play in DC and other other places and uh, we were just talking about music and um, and he and this I, is Ted Ted Leo Ted Leo's band just for people listening Yes, correct. Ted Leo and the yeah, pharmacists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and Ted, sure. <laughs> Ted used to live here in Washington, and I, I know him quite well, and, and we share a birthday, in fact, and uh, uh, coincidentally, um, and I just remember talking to to um, Chris about music, and he asked specifically if I would want to. If I would, I think a lot of people think that I, since I didn't do it for a long time, that I'm somehow f- uh, folded up the tent and closed the chapter or whatever it is that people do, uh, and mm-hmm. I. I never do that. Uh, my, all my doors are always open. Um, so I, I said that I, you know, if there was some way. So I think that Chris brought that back to Mark, and and they discussed it, and then they asked if I would. And honestly, I could could not think of three more amazing people individually, and then to have them in a conglomeration, and then to have them, uh, you know, interested in playing music with me. Like that was uh, fucking phenomenal. Um, yeah. But then I got uh, super imposter syndrome where I just was <laughs> like, I can't, and I didn't think I could bring enough to the table, uh, but they're patient people and uh, and we could make some, and, and writing songs just happened very quickly. I hadn't written uh, lyrics or songs for years, but somehow um, I think that I was able to do it with them in a way that uh, happened quickly. And so that's how the band came about, and then that's how the songs thusly came about. When you talk about composing uh, for yourself, I suppose, are you primarily discuss- talking? Rather, are you primarily talking about lyrics and singing? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, that's what you're bringing the, to the table. Correct. Yeah, and also uh, performance. I mean, I can't read music. I don't. I'm not a quick study. Uh, I'm a grinded out person. That's the only way that I've, at least in music, is yeah. just practice, practice, and then tour and and just really. Uh, make it it's kind of like when you you know get skating and skateboarding when you're trying to learn a trick and you just keep hitting it and you fail over and 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 then finally you get it right and then you keep doing it so you can do it faster 
And yeah. uh, these are people who have been at it. Uh, they've been doing that for the past 25 years at least. And then I'm stepping in raw and I just have to catch up. But I don't – I had to stop thinking that way. That's all. I just had to let go of that uh, concern and just jump in and start where I am. And uh, I think that was, for me anyway, the biggest obstacle was just thinking about it. I would stopped thinking about it. A lot to get into here about the sound of this record and, and this band. Um, I want to take a moment, though, to talk about this gap that you're alluding to, that people perceived as a gap, I should say. Uh, from what I can tell, you were in the Warmers as a contributor, the and that, uh, as far as I know, that ended in the mid-90s. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, be like 96, yeah. something like that. 96, there's a... Yeah, the record, the the Warmers record that I could think of uh, in my head right now, sorry, drawing upon my memories, yeah, around 96. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that the last sort of activity from you in a musical sense? Yes. I mean, aside from stepping, I mean, one, you know, when sometimes when Ted would come into town, he would ask if I want to sing a song with them. Um, but aside from that, like one-offs, which was a handful, I'm not, I don't really like doing that. I love playing with certain people, but I don't do that. Yeah. I'm not a uh, yeah. So to answer your question, that's it. That was all. That I was did. it. And so then, since around '96, you haven't really been an right. active person. And when Ted asked you to join them, what would you do? One of their songs, or would you do a faith song? What would you do? Oh, generally it would be. A, I mean, I call it covering a faith song or a right ignition song sometimes, or you know whatever you want to do. Yeah, um, yeah. No, we would do something that was from my from a previous band of mine. That, okay. Uh, but so uh, so luckily I could remember the lyrics. I mean I can remember those lyrics better than I can remember anything more contemporary. <laughs> I mean, things from when I was fifteen I can do, but things from yesterday is a little harder. Well, there's muscle. I've I find that about. Uh, I I've talked about this on the show before. When I was a kid, and I liked a record. And I would drive around with the record as a child or whatever, a teenager. I wasn't a child. <laughs> and I would like, I know all the words to like the first proper Wu-Tang Clan album. And these days I have trouble remembering something now. Like I just, I don't have the same relationship with music because if I liked something, it would just be in my tape deck in the car that whole summer. And it just got, right. and I have a decent memory. I see it with my son now. They can remember lyrics like it's, well, it's some sort of also genetic first thing. impressions not just grinding yes. and it's the actual yeah. first time you hear it, it everything sticks i mean I, you know we can remember a lot of our uh i mean there's a where i work in a museum that has a lot of impressionist paintings and claude monet that's what he said he spent his entire or no i'm sorry it was bonar saying that his, his entire objective was to get back to that first impression that uh, yeah. what he was always trying to he was striving for it. I tr- I'm I have a little looser grip. I just like to allow it. But it, yeah, that does stay with you. And then the things that happen right now, they're so mixed in with all the. And also, you, you uh, as we get older, become more thoughtful about things. And so we are analyzing things as they're coming in. We're relating them to everything else we've ever known. Yeah, and it's a bigger pile. But anyway, yeah. But grinding yeah. it also helps it stay. <laughs> it has absolutely repetition. Yeah. yeah. So yes. can we talk a little bit about? That uh, halting for you of musical activity, if you will, what do you reckon it was that uh, caused you to stop when you did? And then within that, let's come full circle. Uh, you mentioned sort of the origin of this band and maybe what prompted you, but that's got to be a personal decision to stop and start uh, the way you have. Can you talk about both things? Why stop and why are you back? Beyond being asked, why, yeah. why, why yeah. are you back? The stopping was is more when I got into music, 
I wasn't thinking I want to be a professional musician. What I was thinking, I was very focused on making something that I was 100% committed to. So I didn't want to do anything halfway. I didn't want to, like, I didn't want to jam. I never jammed with people. And when people would say, well, I just do it for fun. And I say, well, I don't. I don't know what it is. I just do it for real. I don't mind having fun. I love having fun, <laughs> but that's not my, uh, a lot of people say, well, when it stops getting fun, I'm going to stop doing it. And it's like, okay. But then they said, they keep on, you know, maybe that's true. But they, they, a lot of people are really, uh, they're willing to do sort of, and I, you know, it's, I say this and it's a pathology, not a, a point of pride necessarily, is that I just had a pretty rigid thing about it. And if I couldn't be in a band and perform and do it the way that I thought was, uh, full commitment, then I wouldn't do it at all. Right. Okay. And so what that gets you is you get, it's either all or nothing. Well, then you get nothing. Yeah. Um, because I, I was reaching an age where people were, were having to, uh, broaden and do things and including myself and including, uh, starting a job that's full time and has not much, uh, time off and just sort of realities. Uh, but I didn't mind it. I didn't mind saying no to it. I didn't, it wasn't, a you know, I didn't mourn it particularly. It was just a, a switch. And then, hmm. Uh, I can do more now, so it's easier to allow. But I also did let go of uh, that rigor, that uh, or at least that much of a rigor. I still, you know, it's. I, I hope I'm making the right decision, but it's. Uh, but I have to uh, hold it a little more loosely, and that's, that's. It's working out pretty well. That's something that I think comes with age too. You realize that you can actually go whole hog on a, more than one thing. Somehow, you can compartmentalize what you're whole hogging <laughs> because I, yeah. like yourself, I have children. So I'm trying to maintain the things that fulfill me and I feel are contributing to my community, larger arts community. But I also have children to raise and family to raise and bills to pay. So you have to come to that. I feel like you and I are talking about the same thing. You come to this conclusion that, you can actually multitask in a way Absolutely. that's fulfilling. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And also what I just shifted what I'm applying myself to, you know, like I didn't like even the, like the job that I do, I'm fully committed to it even though it's not what I I you know, a lot of people they would go get a job in a, a record company or become an entertainment lawyer or do something that is yeah. tangentially connected to the thing that they but that to me is a little at least for me would be a little harder because it's too close but not enough. Yeah. And I'd rather not, uh, you know, have to, cause I know a lot of people who, who really, they want to work in a record label and then they find themselves consistently being shunted into versions of the thing that they don't, you know, That's that fair. they have to do. Yeah. And now I'm in, I work in a place that I, I'm committed to exactly what I do, but I don't have to know all their business and I don't take it personally with, you know, all the things that this operation is. I just know that I need to get the paintings and the sculptures, uh, set up properly and safely and, uh, shipped around and do all the things and I just leave it right there. And, but I focus with the same amount. Yeah. And then creatively, uh, I tried to switch to, uh, writing. I mean, I didn't try to, I did. I applied myself to a different creative act that was not, didn't involve collaboration with other people, which is that with a band part. I really do. Uh, when I'm playing music with a group, uh, I, I want to be fully enmeshed and I, I love that. Yeah. And I need it. And some people are able to skip from thing to thing, but I'm not uh, one of those people. Yeah. I need to be, yeah. I appreciate that. Now, ex I'm external to uh, the Washington, D.C. music community, obviously, uh, but I am 
I'm, I would say I'm quite steeped in the lore and the stories about Discord and, and, and DC. It's just something that's interested me since I was a teenager and, uh, getting to see Fugazi for the first time when I was 17 and all those sorts of things. My sense of, and, and the, one of the things that has inspired myself and others like me who started labels or tried to galvanize their community was the Discord model of we're reflecting our community and we're working together. And as I was listening to this record, your record, sorry, the Hammered Hulls record, I couldn't help but feel like I heard various eras of Discord throughout this record, like throughout a song. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't you mean, mean compositionally or lyrically or? Yeah, compositionally for sure. Yeah. Like I don't, uh, I, this wasn't where I was going with this line of thought right away. Cause what I really wanted to talk about was the fact that you stopped in the mid nineties and you alluded to the fact that people were kind of coming of age and maybe getting jobs and doing all sorts of adult things. And I wondered if that's roughly or like I was trying to think about the mid nineties and discord because there was a point where it felt like that community push slowed down and there were fewer releases. And that's, I think around the time where the, the community expanded too. It wasn't just going to be DC. There were the odd uh, artists that uh, the, the label would work with that weren't necessarily from the immediate community. So something was changing around that time. You changed around that time. You kind of stopped. So I wanted to allude to that uh, first because I wonder if you have a take on that. It seems to me that the community you're from, you guys worked together and fed off of each other in a way that I find interesting, where the musical styles of different bands would really be related to one another in lots of ways throughout different eras. Sorry, I'm babbling Absolutely. a little bit. Is that is that a no, fair no, assessment? I follow you. Yeah. Yes. That's a fair assessment. So around the mid-90s, when you stopped and felt like, I, I need to do something else, how would you characterize that era of DC and Discord, uh, if you can think on it? Because you something made yeah. you feel like, I'm mm-hmm. going to slow down a little. Mm-hmm. Well, for one, I didn't. It was not a conscious thought. It was not, you know, I know you think it's a decision, but it really, yeah. it wasn't. It was a, an adjustment, I would say, maybe. Uh, I tend to not make those kinds of decisions, but to go back to the, your question, yeah. it's hard to really understand. I can only tell you the way it looked to me, but even uh, then I wasn't really absorbing what was happening to everyone. But I just think, I do think it's accurate that that Discord was growing up, like these people in the bands were uh, making music and changing and, do, and starting new bands and recreating and doing things. And you're right, we we did come to a plateau around the same time, around, I mean, age-wise, and uh, and it does begin to splinter there, and people do pursue other, either other creative things. And so I think that is probably exactly what happened with Discord, except I could see how a label might then think, if it was a business, uh, mind more business-minded label, uh, it would say to itself, oh, well, I need somebody to, to buy this label <laughs> so right. I don't have sure. to yeah. do this anymore because now we're hitting a, a some doldrums approaching. And if you were a, a wise uh, – no, if you were an ambitious uh, – not wise. If you were an ambitious uh, business person who owned a label and ran a label, you might say, well, time to unload this. Yeah. Uh, but if you're a person who is not afraid of some slack time and you know that you can still navigate this situation, then – uh, you just keep making the things you make, and you don't worry about where it's going to take you. And I think that that's all it was, was a, a, a pause, and then people began to uh, readdress. But it is different. Everything began to change, you know, the way that uh, music yeah. was consumed, 
Uh, you know, the internet was, you know, different deal. It's uh, what's a label, you know, what's a label if you don't have a vinyl record to stick it to? Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know, uh, uh, those kinds of things. And so those are a lot of things to go through. So it's, you know, as a label, as a, what it's, as what it produces, it's going to change, but there's a lot of X factors. I think if a, a whole relatively similar generational group is doing something together, it's naturally going to ebb and flow the way people come of age right so it seems to me that you all and i didn't really we haven't gotten to this yet i actually i asked you about starting again with hammered hulls i actually want to go all the way back to the beginning now that we've talked a little bit about this because it seems to me that uh, all of you were roughly around the same age and were somehow magically inspired together like something some collective joy <laughs> and and the, the recognition of the possibilities of what you could do to me, it can be romanticized, but in my feelings and love of Discord and my appreciation for it in terms of how it's shaped me uh, in my own communities, in terms of like, let's just do things. Let's just work together and do things. Like, that's all there. But because of the way you all came of age, it you need it. Most people would uh, would say, oh, we need new blood. If we want to keep this enterprise going, we need to feed it. And, and I don't think that's how Discord was operating. It was more of an organic, it is more of an organic thing. Like you are now, the people in this band are not young people that are going to make the label a ton of money and be cool on TikTok, right? <laughs> that's not the motivation. Not that I'm aware of, but TikTok isn't my, well, they're not my boss yet, but I'm sure they will be soon. But, anyway, sorry. Uh, again, but yeah. 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 I, I just want to get to a couple of things here. One, uh, I, I just wanted to convey that I, I think that the the label and that community had a very admirable and natural trajectory, and it still does. And as yes. as you as the proponents of it in its early days get older, it is gratifying to hear you making music again. And that the label I'm is glad not you think so. I, like the label, like as we're speaking, there's a soul side record coming out as well in November. Indeed. And it's not nostalgia. It to me seems like, well, this is where we're, this Correct. is where we are now. The same people Correct. that were involved in building this thing. I do not ache for what is past. That is nostalgia. Literally an ache. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, ache, uh, Alja is an ache. And I don't ache for the past. I recognize the past and it's with me now. And I'm still living it. It's a much more spherical uh, version of time, I think. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Some people are different. But what is your question? <laughs> Fair question, <laughs> Alec. Let's go back to the beginning. If we can think about what inspired you as a young person and your colleagues at the time, can you think back on it? What drew you to think, we can do this, I can do this, I'm Alec, and I can do this, I can sing, mm -hmm. I can play music. Can you bring us back to that moment? Yes. Yeah. I can. I can only go back there by looking. It's a uh, that is a, a hindsight revelation. It's looking back and understanding what happened, and it's it was a little bit of I, yeah, hey, we can do this. You know, there really was some of that, but it's also a not accepting and not knowing and not accepting the limitations or obstacles that people would try to put in your path. To, it, you know, even if they were trying to do it out of concern for you, like a guidance counselor at my school might indicate that I would be a good biochemical something something and I didn't didn't really listen I didn't believe uh, other people I didn't trust you know their ideas and I didn't and I didn't need to believe I didn't think about it I only pursued the thing that I wanted and then I I would say that 
again, to go back to what kind of a, a city that Washington is, and in a lot of ways, it's not a music city. I mean, it's not an entertainment mm-hmm. capital. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't have that. Uh, I can. I mean, I would if I grew up in in New York City or in uh, L.A. and was trying to, um, I don't know what you call, break into the entertainment. I mean, I don't even think of it as entertainment. To me, it was like a uh, philosophical pursuit, but uh, with musical instruments. But uh, there would be a thousand people who would stab me in the back before I could get anywhere because that's they need to get a. Uh, they need to eat that lunch before I do. That's just the way it is. That's what I've been told. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard it reported back from people that, that moved to those places to try and make it. So that was we weren't burdened by that here in Washington. Uh, and never even, you know, we had uh, an idea of positivity and then more positivity. And it was less of a decision than a movement. You know, it just happened. And, and believe me, it could have gone either way. It could have gone... Uh, south easily if people somehow developed a really major distrust of each other or a disappointment or dis- discouragement or disheartening or anything. Yeah. Uh, but instead, all the things that were challenges, like how to get to play somewhere, you couldn't play in a nightclub. They weren't going to book punk rock bands. So you find a VFW hall. I mean, none of that's news now because everybody does it. For us, it was kind of new. Yeah. And once you start doing things for yourself, and then same thing with Discord, just in its very uh, essence, was like, Nobody, there weren't record labels trying to, you know, that came later. That was the year the punk broke or whatever when they, you know, vacuumed up everybody who had any kind of a musical instrument uh, had to become a property of somebody else. Um, and then you just sell whole packages full of bands to each other. Yeah. A song is nowhere in there, but that wasn't the landscape for us in, in 1979. So we just wanted to make some songs play them uh, with each other, for each other. And then also, uh, I mean, I would say that early shows, we would try to help each other. Like the Untouchables was the first band I was in. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what show. Well, Teen Idols brought us on stage to play. I'm sorry, Minor Threat brought us on stage to play a show, I mean a song, because we weren't allowed to get on the bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the club didn't want us to play, but the, they were so uh, adamant to, uh, you know, to we're, you know, support each other that we just ran up on stage and grabbed their instruments at the end of the set and started playing until they turned off the power and dragged us off. I mean, these that's the kind of thing you do. Instead of like trying to uh, hold a band down, you try and pull each other up and just keep on doing that. And and you see that the club is the enemy, not the other band. You yeah. know, you're not competing for the stage. You're sharing the stage against all odds, you know. And um, So I feel like that was sort of the spirit of things. It wasn't, it wasn't a formula that was decided on. It was just recognized later. And I see it now. And it... And it worked. It really is. That's the PMA kind of thing. You know, I know yep. that, you know, Napoleon Hill didn't. I mean, I think you probably, you know, capitalized on this whole idea. But it is a it's a system of uh, believing in something positive and leaning and, and c- consistently reapplying that idea. And uh, and I think that the thing is, it can't die. It's still this is why you're talking about it today. You know, yeah. I, I just as a side note, I invoked positive mental attitude with my daughter the other day as she was struggling with a spelling test. <laughs> we were practicing. I was like, she was like, ah, I'm like, Ramona, PMA, positive mental attitude. And I, and I thought of, anyway, I'm just a little side note. There's an interesting yeah. phenomenon that occurs when something gains traction locally and you start to see shows are selling out, records are selling locally. Do you have a sense memory of when you felt yes. like uh, <laughs> that there were external <laughs> uh, people paying? Oh, yeah, there's sev- yeah, several examples of it. I mean, uh, 
one first example of the of the when shows are selling out or whatever is you know when the 930 club first opened and it was previously before that not to spend too much time on all the stories but it was like a, a hole in the wall yeah pub kind of a place called the Atlantis then the building was being refurbished and they and this woman Doty she re, she started up uh, the 930 club and it was a pretty nice looking place but she wasn't that interested in, in booking uh, local hardcore or local punk rock bands really uh, and then hardcore in particular no uh, especially because we were underage we could, we there was no beer to be sold at those shows so what's the there's no bottom line there's nothing in it for them you know they have to they're a club that's their job is selling beer yeah. but we uh, did a lot of wheedling and and discussion and she agreed to do these uh on sunday afternoon you know, the, now they you know, then they became a whole thing everywhere but uh, uh sunday matinees and it's a time that the club they basically just open the door and turn on the lights and we would play and she came down to see the first one to see how the it was going and there was a a line it was minor threat uh-oh i'm gonna blank well it was three bands uh minor threat headlining and uh might have been one of my bands. I yeah. don't know yeah. uh, as yeah. well. Uh, but there was a line down the street and around the corner, and she's like, "Who are all these people? How was I missing this the whole time?" She didn't know that there was that. Yeah. Uh, she just didn't know. Uh, so we had to, you know. Then that that was one example, and the, and the, we were welcome to play there after that, by yeah. the way. But then uh, there was also for me, like I would just go down to the nine thirty club or DC space or somewhere, and just. Always, when a band is playing that I'm interested in, you just go and pay and go in. Mm-hmm. It was never sold out. Mm-hmm. It was just a thing to do. And then after that, we got began to get more recognition. Uh, it would sell out. So I had, then they started selling tickets on. You know, you could call in, and so people from the suburbs are calling in and and having tickets. And so I'd go, and there would be nobody there, and it'd still be sold out. Like I would go down early to get a ticket. Because they buying the tickets on the phone, and I was like, "Who could do that?" Like, I never even occurred to me. Like, you know, and now it's like, you know, of course, the uh, third party ticket sellers buy them in advance, and you have to buy it from the other. You know, yeah, it gets, yeah. But those are examples of the of when punk rock. You know, what I was most interested in was something that was not even. Um, you know, you couldn't fill a room of a, a seventy five, much less a hundred and then a thousand. Um, so those were things where I began to develop, and also seeing kids. That, you know, I knew everybody for the first year, I would say, at a punk rock show. I knew every single person, whether I was friends with them or not. I just, they were always the same folks. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there was really a big rush and it had to do with television, I think. And, uh, oh, right. And, you know, like, yeah, like Quincy and, and, uh, you know, but they began to have these, I don't know, just, just hit Hollywood and, and people would then come to shows with a different notion of, what punk rock is or how to act and uh and that was really jarring then but you know we accommodated yeah you say it's jarring i imagine it's it was probably some mix of gratifying like validating perhaps like oh no not at all no 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 no. it was like uh i love it here under my rock uh who who lifted the Uh, i see okay Okay. (laughs) now it's like you know everything was fine yeah and now people want to tell me how to play my own music you know and uh i just remember like being playing a show down in Virginia beach and this guy standing in front of the thing and he's like snapping his fingers and look, and they kept spitting on me. And I was like, what oh, are you right. doing? He was like, oh, that's what we do. Right. We spit, you know? Right. And then, and then he's like punching people. And I was like, ah, maybe I don't think I'm not into, I, my friends can spit on me, but you can't spit on me. Like, so, it was a, so does that, did that stuff inform your decision to be like, I'm out. I don't want to do this right now. Like something happened to the thing I love. Absolutely not. Nothing. No, uh, 
No, I mean, I well, I certainly changed the way I thought about things and uh, and the songs that we were writing and the things that you know. Then you know, like their uh, ignition has a whole song about the. Uh, I mean, it's if you want to sit all the way through it, but this is a band I was in. We had a song literally about the, yeah, you know, the scene beginning and looking one way, and then it's changing, and then it. Um, but you just, it's yours. Yes, you know, you yeah. don't, you don't run away from it because somebody comes in and is a temporary uh, uh, something or other. Yeah. Uh, you just keep on doing your thing uh, the way that you do it. and uh, But you can have an opinion about it. You can drive it in the direction you want it. Uh, hopefully it'll go. But yeah, it's, but it, you know, so it's worth addressing, but I never felt like anybody could take it from me, you know? Yeah, um, fair enough. That, including all the, you know, anybody who, with the entertainment industry or whatever. I mean, they can have their version, but that's literally on their end of it. Yeah. Well, let's fast forward to Hammered Halls. I was alluding to this earlier, the sound of this band. To me, uh, when I listened to it more, like I was listening to it last uh, in the last few days and thinking, this does kind of encapsulate the Discord catalog in a way, to me. I'm sure it wasn't conscious in any way. What I mean by that is in terms of genre signifiers, if you will, a, a one song can have like a, a post-hardcore or hardcore kind of feel and then shift into whatever that very idiosyncratic discord groove that, you know, informed by reggae and whatnot that I, it just, it's really remarkable. For me also, I couldn't help but think of Shellac, uh, a band I really love, or No Means No. Fantastic, thank you. Yeah, or No Means No. Ooh. Like these kinds of things come up for me as well in terms of the uh, arrangements. You talked about the lyrics, you talked about the band coming together. Did you have uh, discussions about where you wanted to take the sound of this band? Not really. Uh, Mark is the composer of those songs, really, and a lot of them were things he's had kicking around for years. So, And then the others, we really just, they would start with a riff and then just get pulled together very quickly. Yeah. I can only imagine, I, I would say that probably what that is, is you're seeing the, uh, you know, these are the elements of our makeup. You know, this is the, these are the things that uh, we've been collecting shells on the beach for, well, I've been doing it for 40 years and <laughs> they've been doing it for, you know, th so these are, uh, things that we have in our, uh, in our tool toolkit and that, and they come back out, I guess. Yeah. And I guess that's, that would be the explanation for it. But, uh, but I would say that Mark is that he, he tooled everything into the final product of the song and then, um, and there you have it. So uh, one important aspect of the narrative of this record is that it was, by my understanding, the one of the final, if not the final, recording sessions at Inner Ear Studios. Is that correct? It may be. Yeah, it may be. Yeah, I mean, it's one. Of, it's Cream was recording around the same time, and uh, we'll see what happens with that uh, recording. Oh, that's session. correct. They, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They would be the, the really, the truly, the last, and that would be very fitting. I mean, they're. Uh, but on the other hand, it's. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of emphasis placed on the end of of inner ear, and I guess it's not really the end of inner ear. I don't know. It's, a, it's the closing of a building. Uh, yeah. But Don, you know, when I started working with Don, it was in his basement, and that's where he is again. So. Oh, is he back? And so he's doing sessions he's, on, uh, still somehow. I don't know to what level. I mean, yeah. he is. Uh, you know, it may not be like the bad brains probably aren't going to record in his basement again but <laughs> uh, but he has this he's he has a sound you know he set up his uh, studio back in the basement and things are happening down there okay um, fair enough uh so, that, I, yeah. I appreciate that distinction because it is just a room don is really the magician uh probably wherever he sets Absolutely. up he's going to get the sound yeah i mean i will that being said not to, i mean let's not get too far away from that too quickly because it was just a room but 
spectacular room. I mean, it was really the way that he allowed it to be set up was, um, you know, it's it in a warehouse space, uh, but he filled it with, I mean, I haven't been in a lot of recording studios everywhere in my life, but the ones that are not in her ear tend to have lots of pictures of successful bands and then all the, uh, you know, platinum and gold and whatever, I don't know, some sort of awards that make people think they're important and uh, all that. And Don had like children's art and toys and uh, he did have the bands that recorded there. He had, you know, displayed but really, it was filled with lots and lots of creative things because he's a creative person. But all of those were little doorways for people who are making things. You can look at these things and, and get out of a, a trap that you're in, yeah. which happens a lot when you're in the, in the studio. And that is uh, something that I just was amazed by, like just as a space. He really uh, allowed it to grow in this um, very comfortable way and uh Super cool, and but of course he was the main uh, ingredient. You know, his his he's calm, but also firm. I don't know how to describe it exactly, but um, uh, and also tireless, absolutely tireless. I mean, I I don't know how he could sit through so many bands noodling on the same little note over and over, and then he'd have <laughs> one more idea and whatever. You know, like he's just really amazing. Yeah, for those who uh, are wondering. Uh, Don, uh, is the primary engineer and owner of what was Inner Ear Studios. Uh, and if you haven't seen the, uh, Fugazi documentary instrument, I would encourage you to do so because there's extended sequences of the band uh, recording their album Red Medicine in that space. So just to put pictures to what, uh, Alec and I are describing, I would recommend that. Uh, not to be, uh, left out here though, I think it's also significant that your brother Ian was involved in producing, uh, this particular record. Can you talk a little bit about what he brought to the band and, and these songs? Again, I mean, it's there's like learned experience and then there's lived experience. And it gets sort of that thing that we were talking about in the beginning of this conversation of just doing or like skateboarding when you're learning a trick. Like you just it's this it's repetition, but it's not uh, rote, you know. So that's the uh, what he has in it's, it's just in full bounty or you know that he's done a, a ton of things but he still has a really pretty focused plan you know like he's not he doesn't have to try everything he knows where where to go with things so that's really i mean you know uh, i just think we're i'm glad that we could do it you know like it's again like a lot of this stuff i don't even know exactly how how it came to pass you know it was an idea and then it was like let's can we do this and then and it ended up being quite difficult, as you know, because it got interrupted. You know, like we we started the day before the pandemic shut down, and and then we had to finish almost two years later. And yeah, um, but anyway, having him at the helm was it's. I mean, he he knows what you're trying to do. He's totally familiar with everybody in the band, as well as uh, the kind of music that we make. And that's a the challenge of the producer, but it's also they become another member. And you really yeah. do have to um, listen, and 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 it's just a really interesting uh, collaboration. Um, but he's got so much experience with all of that, and also, I mean, to go back to the space of inner ear, but uh, working with Don, that's literally like that place is the shape of, of Ian. You know, like it's yes, yes, it's, yes. So he fits right in there, and so it's uh, you're just in the in the uh, the vessel with him when you're when you're. Uh, working with and producing. 
four or five, six years ago now, Ian was on this show uh, for an episode, and he said something that seems to have really resonated with people. I've seen it quoted in um, books and all sorts of things. He said, uh, you know, I'm a pop guy. I have a pop sensibility. And I think it was just interesting to hear that for some people. I always thought that. I, I always think uh, Ian's contributions to music are very hooky, very infectious. Mm-hmm. As I'm listening to songs like Hardest Road, I can't get this out of my head. Hardest Road is the one back home. And I, I actually wondered if he was singing on that a little bit. Did he contribute to the shape and sound of any of the songs in any particular That's way? That's me. That's all me. All yeah. you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Very, yeah. very similar t- timbres, obviously, as brothers. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Probably genetically connected there. <laughs> did he um, did he offer arrangement ideas? Uh, oh my f- hell yes. Uh, yes okay. there was a lot of things it's yeah uh that I mean to to me they were they seemed really major these sort of things that when we got in the studio we wanted to address and so that was a little bit well yes he did absolutely there was yeah. uh, uh, great ideas uh, I mean I'm you know scrolling through trying to think of examples but there were a number of things that we changed in songs, um, and that's another thing that I am not used to, and it's also like not really the way you want to be in the studio. I and mean, it, it is an hourly rate, and you don't yeah. want to be composing in the studio. But if there's a good idea, you don't want to pass it up. And so you're listening to something, and he'd say, well, "You know what? What I'm hearing is why don't you know? Have you never thought about?" And then we would think, "Let's just try it." And I don't think the thing you're talking about right now is one of his. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Suggestions. But there are, yes, a, a number of things that, and those are great ideas. And also, Ian is, of course, I mean, he's familiar with all the, you know, punk rock and all these bands that he works with, but an, you know, an amazing, uh, uh, student of music, of rock and roll and pop and things that might seem anomalous to, to punk rock, but he gets it, you know, and, and he listens to all that shit. And, uh, uh so, that's a whole other. That's a kind of a language that I I'm not as well read as most people who, uh, you know, even people in my band will talk about the minutia of a Beatles album that I'm not familiar with. And yeah, but Ian he can he can roll with the deepest of them when it comes to any kind of, especially with the Beatles or Hendrix or yeah, some of the larger things. Yeah, yeah, and I mean again, I don't mean to harp on this, but I do hear that sort of. The song like Staggering Genius to me brings me right to a band like Shellac of North America. You know, I think of them, I can hear their influence in the guitar tone and whatnot. And I know Ian's a huge fan of theirs too. So I wonder all of you together, <laughs> just thinking about mm-hmm. where things are coming from and bringing them into this sound, which is really remarkable. I want to ask you about these lyrics uh, a little bit, Alec, um, because they are very striking to me as well. I think you have a really uh, interesting way of dealing with language economically, but directly. But I do want to cite a song uh, just as a way to bring us uh, into this. So the song Bog People has this sequence of words that struck me. Meteoric dagger stayed, the virus was collected, broken shoulder blade, diseases resurrected. So immediately I was like, oh, this feels very contemporary because of the time we're in. But then as I kept going, Mark's maid persisted, protection from harm, carbon horse was pricked running down her arm that took me somewhere else and i only cite this as a a sort of esoteric but direct example of what i'm talking about i I find your lyrics really interesting do you have an overarching sense of where they might have emanated from for this collection of songs uh 
Yeah, I mean it's over, over, overarching. Uh, <laughs> they're you know, they're all quite a, distinctive. I should say that I, I do think they're all okay, about different things. Yeah, but I just wonder. They are, yeah. and the, I, I mean some of them are really. Uh, I just would open up. I just um, and this was another uh, uh, different thing for me as I changed the way that I think, but I. I there was a time when I was younger when I was always trying to express myself and wanted people to understand, like, you just don't get me, you know, mm. and I felt really misunderstood. And then I got to a place where, like, I don't want you to understand me. I like who I am, and I don't need you. <laughs> I don't need to be understood in quite the same way. And that really helped to get to that uh, phase. And then I went a little, I don't know if it's further or different, but... um. I just began to explore it. Uh, most of my the words are really about words. I mean, I just mm -hmm. so so writing these songs. I would start first. I hear the song, the composition, and what do I feel like? Rarely do I have a set of lyrics that I try to map onto a pre-existing tune. I mean, I I think every single song on the record I uh, wrote hearing the music first. And honestly, the uh, bog people. It's funny that I mean, I feel like I've now had a few people picked that out as a really intriguing song and it was one of the sort of simplest impetuses like we kind of needed to, another song to you know fill out our set and uh for me it started with um thinking about when i was a kid there used to be in the natural history museum there was a, a display of a person that was made of had turned to soap oh uh, they were buried in a graveyard near the Schuylkill River in Philadelphia. I know this seems really far <laughs> afield, but uh, literally I'm talking about people who uh, are found in bogs when I talk about bog people. That was the first thought. It was pretty direct. Hmm. However, if you can, you can leave it open and and uh, the person who's listening to it can inhabit that. You can really – if you leave it open enough so that people can imagine things and it enters their mind and their imagination and it changes shape inside of them – they can take that song to other places, and so I'm, you know, hesitant to sort of focus it. But it's, uh, but the bog people are these people that they find in bogs who are generally, I think, they think they were sacrificed, and so, and a lot of them are tattooed, and the horses that are, uh, the thing that's running down her arm is a horse that's running. You know, it's not drooling down her. It, it, that's a kind of a word, and if you look at the many of the words that I use have at least three meanings, you know, and I want that. I want you to see, it's like a refracted thing always. So I want you to follow the other way. You know, I might be saying something and I want you to take a, uh, get confused and go some other way and see. Yes, go on. I don't, I don't, I don't, I have a question. My hand was raised. Sorry, uh, yes. professor. Uh, no, I hear what you're saying. And when I, I don't want to William Burroughs this, but when I hear horse, I think a heroine. Oh, when I hear tracks, well, sometimes I do. That's yes. just the way I am. And then when yes. I hear track tracks down someone's arm, I think a heroine maybe too. So, and I'm rewatching Breaking Bad, so uh, maybe that's on my mind too. So, is that where you're getting? No, I'm not saying that's where you're getting at. But are you talking triple, double, triple meanings? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. All yeah, right. I want the you know to allow it to happen, but it's and the. I'm trying to think of what the other somebody else was asking about that song the other day, and they had a completely other take. Yeah, uh, you know, it's political. It was a political uh, thought, and I again, I hadn't thought of that. I I love when people uh, come back to me and say, you know, I always thought that song was about, and I'm like, good God, that couldn't be uh, further from what I was really thinking. 
And that was the thing that frustrated me for the first half of my adult life was being misunderstood. The second half so far uh, is the greatest pleasure I can have is to uh, to be – I feel like I'm having a communion with people without having to do it. You know, like we're there. Yeah. I'm just saying – using some words that we all have in common uh, that are uh, so rich that we can get everything we want from them. And so all I need to do is string a few together. And uh, And sometimes I really do want to – paint a picture that's pretty set but yeah, yeah. mostly i want there to be uh, i just th- i feel like that's just fl- as a person who listens to and reads but listens to music i feel flattered or honored or something when i can have this uh, experience with a person who's creating something and it's and it's a, a stingy person a creative person who won't let you have that you know and i'm not that person well it was interesting over breakfast today watching my children sing along to rights and reproductions uh, they've just heard the record so much that in the house and in the van, as we've been going to their running races and whatnot, they love it. Like it's a, it's an infectious thing. But uh, my son has questions. What does that yeah. mean? What is that? And I'm like, I don't know what it means, but what does it make you think? Like, what does it make you feel? Exactly. And so we yeah. have those kinds of conversations. And I feel like that's where you're getting at. You're planting seeds of ideas and words, but it's really up to us to figure out where they go now. And you seem well, at peace I, with that. Yeah. Well, I, I that's my gift to you uh and anybody else. Uh I want I want everyone to have that. But I also it's a gift to me, you know. I, I get yeah. to uh hear that your son is interested in and wondering and I'm happy to um you know like if if he has a specific question maybe we can explore it together. Uh, it's nothing <laughs> well, it's, Yeah, it's okay. No, seriously, what was it? Let's let's uh, do it. What was, I'm trying to think of what their questions were specifically. My daughter it was interesting watching my daughter who's 7 sing along to the record today over breakfast. It's not something a, it's not necessarily a breakfast record. Uh, yeah. On some level, but actually for a little kid, it's like a little cup of coffee. What were my, I'm trying to think of what Levon's questions were. He mostly wondered what you were saying. Now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just That's think. A common, of, yeah. Like That's just trying to figure out why. Singing. Well, actually, one of the things. Yeah. Why, why is this person singing like this? Uh, and I, right. I, well, I escaped. What's he me. so mad about? <laughs> yeah, so I wish I had a specific. They're at school as we're speaking, yeah. so I can't ask them specifics oh, at the great. moment. But I if I that. think okay. of it, I will email you their specific questions because, okay. in general, that you have to understand in my house, given what I do in this capacity, they're just hearing a new record every week as I prepare yeah. for for my interviews. So it's been That's I so don't cool. know what it's going to do to them on some level as they get older and are just constantly exposed to new ideas. It's going to be great. Don't worry. I, I think yeah. it will be. I'm not worried about it, Fantastic. but it's, yeah. it is fascinating. So all yeah. this to say, all this to say, uh, you've captured the seven to 11 demographic. If you are looking Excellent. for that one. All right. We're trying to grow our market. Yeah. We're like a uh, uh, teen spirit or whatever. We're just trying to get in there. It's a wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful album. I love it. It's, and like I say, it, it speaks to a lot of my Thank you. various musical interests. What sort of next, from your perspective, what's sort of next for this band in terms of either making new music or touring or whatnot? Yeah, there are more songs. Uh, we're eager to, to uh, get into new. I mean, Mark has got a lot of, of new ideas. Um, I mean, I'll have to catch up with lyrics, but that's and I you know I get worried, but I, it seems to happen when it needs to. Uh, but we do have a lot of new songs in the that are coming together now mm. and but i do really look forward to playing i we haven't played in so long uh and i want to uh, so we will do small these sort of short tours um 
uh, in November and December coming up. We'll go up to uh, New York City and uh, uh, maybe to Rhode Island. I can't remember what the furthest north and then back down and then we'll go out to Detroit and back and I'll put, you know, some places in between Cleveland and yeah. uh, I think Pittsburgh is on there. And But for me, to be honest, I I don't like making records as much as I I'm I really love to be in a room with people yeah and all the things that we were just talking about I like that to happen in a, a real atmosphere with people and I do a word of warning the words change mm. you know everything that's on that record may be different when you're when you see Hammered Hells live well I'm, uh, I, as I, I look at the poetry on Needlepoint Tiger and I can't I don't even know how you're going to we were talking earlier about repetition and memorizing things right this this seems to be to me, to be an artifact of freeform thought. Does that make sense? Like that's yes. just an example where I could see that. Sorry, just to pick up on what you were just saying, I could see Needlepoint Tiger going a totally different way. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and that one I, doesn't ever change, really. But oh, okay, uh, okay. Production changes almost every time. I see. Okay, right three productions. I, I, it's a almost like it's a vibe. With the, I read the room. I don't read it like look around and, but I feel something. I feel differently, and I will uh, pick up on different things. And sometimes it may be something that's happening uh, in the streets uh, or in the world yes. that make, yeah. is making me think of something else. And uh, but you know, just the idea of that sort of um, um, well, anyway, that one changes quite a bit. Needlepoint Tiger is yeah. a string of words that are uh, that do fo- always follow each other. But okay. it was written, <laughs> as you say, sort of in that in that manner. You know, like. But yeah, it stays the same. It's interesting too because I often will request lyric sheets for uh, when I'm before I'm talking to someone, and sometimes they're a little off. There's typos. I will say that I don't know when this lyric sheet, when they were written down this way, as I was following along the bouncing ball, you know, as you were singing, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, there's whole things in these lyric sheets that are not on this record at all. Like whole parts of songs are not. I've got lyrics here that aren't you're not singing in that song. And so I I all I'm getting okay. at is I don't think those are mistakes. It picks up on what you're saying. There's a spirit of change. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah we're a living institution. We <laughs> things right. It's remarkable. I hope uh, I hope it comes up to Canada at some point or I can get down to see it somehow. Uh if I can get over my Thank nerves you. about such things <laughs> and uh those sorts would, of things. Uh, hopefully we will come to Canada. I would love to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So if people want to learn more about uh, this band, uh, obviously uh they can visit the Discord site and I'll I'll link to things in the uh podcast description. Alec, if people want to keep tabs on your band using the conventions of the internet, are there such things right now? The one that I'm, I know that we have, uh, an Instagram page or whatever we call it, yeah. site. I don't know. Um, we have that, uh, but I, I don't think we have anything beyond that, but, um, okay. Yeah. So I guess Instagram and then search engine, you know, like <laughs> Altavista, uh, whatever, ask Jeeves, you know, any of those. Yeah. Lycos. Hammered yeah. Hulls. Exactly. <laughs> yes. By the way, th- I, I don't normally, uh, make a point of asking people about their band names, but it's an interesting and evocative band name. Um, I think of boats, but there is a hammer that shows up at least in one song here. Can you briefly just tell us where the name came from? Yes. Uh, it's from a, a poem that I wrote that was inspired by an article in uh, an issue of Popular Mechanics from 1932. And it was instructions for a, a young boy, I guess, to ha- how to uh, buy a boat. If you were going to buy yourself a rowboat or a small uh, craft, uh, and you see that word craft, right? If you're going to buy yourself a craft, 
how to check this thing out and and you hammer along the garboard strake uh, to feel uh, and if it makes a sound that is a certain way it's good and if it hits a and makes a dead sound uh, maybe you should not buy this boat and it's just oh. a little instructional thing but it was so beautifully written this article was just blew me away and it's just a little thing in a magazine from 1932 about uh, it's a little scientific something or other. I see. Um, so when we were trying to think of band names, I threw that out there as a joke, and they said, that's great. Let's use it. It's so a rather that's beautiful – that's a beautiful story, if I might say. That's a, I, I, I want to read that article now. It sounds very lovely. Now, if we can go out on a song from this record, I wonder if you can choose one for us and also tell us why uh, this one came to mind. Let's go out with written word, uh, and mostly because that is the uh, the lyrics really are um, inspired by this band itself. Uh, you know, that's one of the first songs I wrote with this band, and they developed in a way that. So when I'm when I sing it, I think of us. So let's use that song as a as an outro. This is the one I believe that I was alluding to earlier. It, you got to hammer them home. The hammer is what I'm referring to. Uh, there and yeah, I found my music in the common word. That's a word. typewriter, by the way. Yes, exactly. <laughs> there you go. All right, that's Listen, a typewriter, got... <laughs> and the character's mark is what uh, the word character actually is. Uh, it means to strike something. So you're right. hammering this. Uh, these are you're writing and you're making, uh, you're communicating, but you're doing it in a way that is going to last forever. This is great. I know you were like, ah, it's up to everyone and make their own interpretation of things. I appreciate this little bit of insight. It means a lot. I'm happy to share. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This is Written Word by Hammered Hulls from their beautiful new album, Careening, which is available via Discord Records. Alec, this was a tremendous honor and a pleasure for me. I hope you enjoyed at least some semblance of this conversation. And I thank you for your time and I wish you the best of luck in the future. Thank you. Thanks very much. It's great to meet you. And um, thanks for this interview.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. That was really enjoyable. I hope you enjoyed the music you heard by Hammered Halls. And I want to thank Alec Mackay for appearing on this, the 729th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you've heard about and you're looking for it on one of those platforms, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter you can uh, visit vishkana.com and i think everything you would need is right there you can like creative control on facebook if uh, you so desire you can follow the show on twitter at vish creative or you can follow me directly on twitter and also as a bonus on instagram at vishkana i'm fairly active on those things in a way i'm not trying to tell you you should follow but why not anyway there you go what else was I going to say? Oh, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation uh, to sustain this podcast. Now, you can uh, donate any amount you want to. Any amount. A right? dollar a month. Uh, $3 a month. $15 a month. You know how amounts work. You can pick and choose whatever you want. And you can change it at any time. Now, $6 or more a month grants you access to some exclusive content, including... Uh, you get the episodes, ideally, uh, earlier than everybody else. And, and I mean, you do get them earlier than everybody else, but as I'm speaking to you, right now, it is 10.54 p.m. Now, normally, I would have all, everything prepared, and this early episode would be out a good 12 hours ahead of the midnight launch of the regular podcast, but I was busy this week, and I couldn't do it. So I'm just telling you what's happening in real life right now. Normally you get the episodes early, you get access to exclusive content, sometimes it's bonus time with my current uh, slate of guests, sometimes I dig into my archives and I find older things and I post them in the Patreon as treats. Uh, but anyway, I think most of you who you know support people on Patreon, I think you're just supporting their current work. That's my sense of things. Anyway, who am I to tell you what you want? All I'm saying is $6 or more a month would be great if you can do it, and if not, any amount is great and you can change it at any time. And if you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, just message me and I'll get you one uh, while supplies last. You can message me and do all those other things at patreon.com slash Control. Thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks to my friend Jim Guthrie for lending me some music of his. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this episode with Alec McKay. It was truly an honor and a pleasure to have Alec on the show and to talk uh, so extensively about his work. 
so check out Hammered Halls. Please subscribe to this podcast or follow it. Tell your friends about it. I will talk to you very soon. Be well. Peace. Bye for now. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.